Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship, and we have appreciated that these last few weeks. Thank you for putting together the songs. Thank you, Pastor Jeremiah, for putting together the videos, all the props, everything that goes on around the, around the scenes to make these videos come together. Thank you for doing that. We are now going to get into God's Word and talk about the unstoppable church, and as we do that, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word. Even though we do this online, we know that we are together as a church. And I pray, God, that you would change us from the inside out. God, make us like you more and more every day, more like Jesus every day, Lord. That's our prayer. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled Unstoppable, and it's all about the birth and growth of the church as seen in the book of Acts, which is an amazing book. We know we have four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But one book for the birth and growth of the church, which gives us a lot of information as to how the church started, and we are part of that story. As you know, we talked about this a few months ago, actually. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out of. We're called out of the world, right? The church is not a building. It's the people who meet inside the building. That is the church. It's a worldwide group of true believers in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross gathering together regularly in local congregations. That's us. This really is ultimately the story of our experience with Jesus Christ. We're part of this story and how it began. Now, we are in the first section of the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7. We're going to be doing chapter 7 today, the last chapter in this first section. Peter is the central figure. The action's taking place in Jerusalem. That will change next week when we get into chapter 8. But the action is taking place in Jerusalem. And here's the great news. This whole section, my friends, talks about the triumph of the church, how God is growing up the church. And numbers are increasing and miracles are happening as the church is born and it grows. So we're going to look at this amazing story in chapter 7 when it talks about the first. The first what? the first martyr of the Christian church. It's a difficult passage because in chapter 6, we see the selection of the deacons, one of them being a man by the name of Stephen. And all of these men who were chosen to be deacons to serve in the church were full of wisdom, had a good reputation, full of the Spirit, And the more you find out about Stephen, the more you're amazed by this young guy. He knew the word of God. And it says in the word of God that people were reasoning with him and they could not withstand his wisdom and how he spoke in the spirit. They couldn't withstand it. Everything he said makes sense. And so all of these false accusations were leveled against Stephen to try to stop him from spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And does that happen today? Absolutely it does. False lies may be said about you, false statements about you. You'll be labeled falsely. 
But that's exactly what was happening in the first few months of the church. And it's continued throughout these years after the church was born. Many of you have been slandered because of your faith in Christ. That happened here to Stephen. False allegations were levied against him, and he was brought in front of the council, the Sanhedrin, the 71 leaders who led the nation of Israel. Yes, Rome was still in charge, but they let the Sanhedrin decide all the matters that pertain to religious affairs. And this, of course, was one of them. Stephen was going about preaching Jesus. And even though there had been warnings, To stop doing that, the church had to do what God told them to do. Great reminder for us, amen? Here's the bottom line of our talk today. It's this. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Christian church, the very first person who gives his life. He gives his life for his faith. He becomes the very first one. His testimony for Christ is unwavering, and it's backed by the power of God's word. His message was hated by his audience and ultimately led to his murder. When he gives his testimony in front of the Sanhedrin, they don't receive it. They hate it, and they ultimately kill him. And I want to challenge all of us today who are endeavoring to be a witness for Jesus Christ that we would do this, that we would be in the Word of God, backing up what we say by the Word of God. Because here's the reality the Word of God tells us, that the Word of God never returns void. Don't you love that? Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? (laughs) You don't have to worry about having to win someone over by human wisdom. But you take the Word of God and you share it with people and you pray and you live a life that reflects the reality of Jesus Christ in you and God's Word will never return void. You might say, well, Mel, if Stephen died, uh, that, that seems like a failure. It's not. It's not a failure. God used that to embolden the church even more. And Stephen was an amazing person who spoke up for Jesus Christ without fear and gave an amazing testimony in front of the Sanhedrin. Now let's review a little bit in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, we see the final instructions, then Jesus' ascension, then the birth of the church in chapter 2, then Peter's sermon, then the lame man is healed, that amazing miracle, a crowd gathers. And Peter gives his second sermon. 3,000 people saved the first one, 5,000 the second. Then they're put in jail. They're told not to, to speak about Jesus as they witness to Jewish leaders. But they say, we've got to do what God tells us to do, not what man tells us to do. Then there was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 when they lied to God and lied to the church. And that was in the face of these amazing miracles that were being done. Then the apostles are put in jail again, but there's a miraculous release as an angel leads them out of prison. And when they go to bring the apostles out of prison to tell them not to talk about Jesus, they're not there even though the prison was locked and the guard was there. Where were they? Right back out in the temple courtyard telling people about Jesus, doing what God had told them to do. Uh, And then there was a problem internally in the church. And in chapter 6, we see the seven deacons selected. Stephen was one of them. 
And then we see Stephen arrested because of these false allegations that were made against Stephen. And in chapter 7, we see Stephen murdered for his faith. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. We've set the context. Here's this young man given an opportunity to speak up in front of 71 leaders in Israel. And let me tell you, the beginning part of this chapter is basically a walk through the Old Testament. I've had the opportunity for the last 25 years to teach a seminar called Walk Through the Old Testament. I've gone to uh, other countries to do that, to Belarus. Uh, I've gone to places in South America, uh, all over the country, teaching a Walk Through the Old Testament seminar that gives in one day the basic history of the Old Testament. Well, that's what Stephen does here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me share with you the opening verses of chapter 7. These false allegations were made about Stephen and about what he was saying. And the high priest said in chapter 7, verse 1, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Iran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Stephen starts out at the very beginning of the nation of Israel. He talks about the hero of the nation of Israel, the father of the Israeli nation, Abraham. And God told Abraham to leave the place where he was living and to follow God. And and how did he follow God? He walked with eyes of faith, right? He didn't know where God was leading him exactly, but he walked with eyes of faith. That's where Stephen begins, with the story of Abraham. Now let me give you a chart about what he talks about in his testimony. Then in verse 8, he jumps down to Isaac, the, the son that would inherit all the promises that God gave to Abraham. Isaac inherited all of them. Then Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. He talks about Jacob in his testimony, giving a history of the nation of Israel. Then he goes on to Joseph. As you know, one of Jacob's sons was a young man by the name of Joseph. He was given a coat of what? Many colors, exactly. A colorful coat. Because he was the eldest son of the wife that Jacob loved the most. That's why he loved Joseph. Stephen talks about Joseph and how Joseph was used in a powerful way by God to save the people of Israel who were going through a terrible famine. And God does a miracle by sending Joseph down to Egypt as a slave. But Joseph rises to power in the nation of Egypt and saves many lives. He talks about Joseph. Then he goes on and talks about Moses. How after Joseph died and the Pharaoh that knew Joseph died, another Pharaoh came to power in Egypt and did not like the fact that the Jews were being blessed so greatly in the land of Egypt. And he put them into slavery. And the Jews would remain in slavery for 400 years. Stephen does a long section here on Moses and how Moses uh, did this unthinkable murder As you know, Moses was raised as an adopted son in the household of the Pharaoh at a time when all the Jewish boys were being 
killed. And yet God used Moses and the influence of Moses after Moses committed murder. He murdered an Egyptian who was beating a Jew. And Moses knew in his heart that he was a Jew. He knew that all along. And when he did that, Stephen talks about it. How he was rejected by his own people who the next day he saw some of the Jews arguing, tried to break up the fight. They said, hey, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? Stephen tells a story. So Moses had to flee for his life. For 40 years, Stephen talks about it. He was in the desert as a shepherd. But it was at that point that God met Moses and God called Moses to lead two million people out of slavery. He talks about those miracles that were done through Moses. Then he mentions David and Solomon as the promises of God's Messiah kept coming through David's reign and how David and his throne would last forever. He talks about David and Solomon in his testimony. Then he goes on and mentions the prophets as well. And at the end of his talk, in chapter uh, 7, he talks about Jesus and mentions the fact that all the prophets who were persecuted were pointing to the one that would come. And he says this at the end of his testimony in chapter 7. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus. Then he says this, one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. It was a powerful message. Stephen didn't back down. He told the history of the Jewish nation like it was. I encourage you, if you want to get a brief history of the Old Testament, Read through Stephen's testimony. It's too much to cover here this morning. But it's an amazing summary of the history of Israel and the prophecies that were scattered throughout the Old Testament as God was bringing about the arrival of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. The sad thing is, instead of hearing that message and accepting it, these Jewish leaders had this moment in time when they could have accepted the Messiah that was prophesied from the very beginning, but they didn't. They rejected Jesus. And they rejected this opportunity that was given to them to hear the message of God's plan and receive it. I want to challenge all of us today to love God's plan. You may not fully understand it. You might think to yourself, man, if I were God, I would do it all differently. And you might. And I've said this before. Let me share it again. It's this, that if you had God's power, you might do things differently. But if you had God's power and his what? His wisdom. You would do things the exact same way. God's power and God's wisdom brought about his perfect plan, the delivery of Jesus as the Lamb of God to this world who would take away the sins of the world. And instead of receiving it, sadly, in verse 54 of chapter 7, they reject it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. 
Now, I'm not sure how mad you have to be to grind your teeth at somebody. I don't think I've ever been there. I, have, I mean, I've had moments of being angry in my life. But they were so enraged, they ground their teeth at him, the Bible says. That's pretty intense. That tells you how much they hated Stephen, how much they hated his message. And the reality that they had rejected the very righteous one that God had brought to the earth, the very culmination of the plan of God, was murdered. But you know, our God is an awesome God. And we know that the power of the cross is this. There is no sin so great that it cannot be paid for by what Jesus did on the cross. Every sin imaginable can be paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. That's why God's grace is amazing. The sad thing is when they heard this message, this amazing testimony by Stephen, they rejected it. They rejected it. And they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. That's how mad they were. But Stephen, it says, next verse, full of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that challenge you? When somebody's really angry with you, even though Stephen spoke the truth, everything he said was the truth, they were infuriated with him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I love that. As they're infuriated with Stephen, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looks up and sees heaven opened before him. What a moment. He sees the glory of God. He's given this amazing privilege. God knew that Stephen was going to be the first martyr of the church, the very first one. The first one that would give his life after the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, some apostles were threatened. But Stephen would ultimately give his life for the church. And what probably infuriated them the most was a statement like this in Stephen's testimony, where where he said this, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Here's a reconstruction of Herod's temple during the time of Jesus. You can imagine how that statement infuriated the Jewish leaders. When Stephen said, God does not dwell in a temple made by human hands. In fact, he quotes from the Old Testament, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? God was saying, listen, if I created the heavens and the earth, don't think that a temple like this is my house. It doesn't house me. God doesn't dwell only in the temple. God is the creator of the universe. That building can't keep God. That infuriated the Jewish leaders. They saw it as attacking the very Jewish sacrificial system that they wanted to keep in place. And when Stephen said that, he was hinting to what the Bible already had had 
brought about in Acts chapter 2, what God had already accomplished when the Holy Spirit now took up residence in the hearts and lives of believers who were totally cleaned out by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and by our faith in Christ. That cleaned us out, took away our sins, and now God could take up residence in our hearts and in our lives. No longer would God meet in temples made by human hands, made by stone, made in stone. But now he was dwelling in the temple of the human heart. See, that's what 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17 says. It says this, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Church, that is great news for us. God dwells in us. You are the temple of God. He lives in you. And this concept is repeated uh, throughout the New Testament. That God lives in you. Let me give you another verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. What a great reality to remember, right? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, the Bible says. You belong to God. He paid for you. And what a blessing to know that we are God's and that he holds us in his hands. And like Jesus said, no one can pluck us out of God's hands. No one can. No one can take Jesus away from us. Like Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing in this universe. And if God is for us, you can probably finish the verse. Who can be what? Against us. God is with you, church. Riverview Church, God lives within you. You are the temple of God. He dwells within you. That's the mystery of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that Christ dwells in you. In fact, in Galatians 2.20, it says this, I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives what? In me, it's a mystery. We don't fully understand it. But when Jesus died on the cross and we place our faith and trust in that work on the cross, we were crucified with Christ, our old self, our old desires, and now Christ lives in us. The greatest exchange we have ever experienced in our lives. There may be times when you've made a great deal. You've bought a car. Man, I got a great price for that car. Bought a house at a great price. It was a great deal. But there's been no gift, no deal you've ever made than the transaction that occurred when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He took up residence in you. God doesn't dwell in a temple made by human hands, made out of stone. He dwells in you. God, the creator of this universe, somehow lives within me. It's a mystery that I don't fully understand. But when Stephen said it to the Jewish leaders, they realized that what Jesus did on the cross, what these Christians believed, attacked the very sacrificial system of the Jews. And it wasn't really an attack. It was a fulfillment, as we know. Jesus fulfilled 
all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But the Jewish leaders saw it as an attack. They saw it as the Christian faith being in total opposition to what they believed. And they were infuriated with Stephen. They were infuriated by him. I love Ephesians 3.17. It says this, that Christ may make his home, what? In your hearts through faith. Don't you love that? That Christ will make his home in our hearts through faith. It's amazing to think that the temple is not the home of God. It's not. But Jesus makes his home in our hearts through faith. And Stephen, you got to love this guy. He knew the word of God. It's a great challenge to all of us, by the way, to get into the word of God, to know the history of the Old Testament, to know what God's plan was in the Old Testament. And really, if you were to summarize the entire plan of God, it would be this, God pursuing our hearts. God seeking to make us right with him. He's after you. He's after you in love for you to be right with the God that created you, for you to know that you are not a product of atheistic evolution. But you're here because God created us and made us in his image. And he's made his home in our hearts by faith in him. Let me read on in chapter 7 what happens. They're enraged at him. They're grinding their teeth at Stephen. He looks up in heaven, sees the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it says this, But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man by the name of, you guessed it, Saul, who was in total agreement with the murder of Stephen. He was the coat checker at that event. He took care of the coats as these Jewish leaders stoned Stephen to death. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A euphemistic way of saying he died. As they stoned Stephen to death. You can imagine the impact this had on the church. This man had just been selected as a person full of wisdom, full of good reputation, uh, full of the Spirit. He had great qualities, selected by the church, and it was soon after that that he was murdered by the Jewish leaders. Can you imagine if that happened here in America? If a leader of the church who loved the Lord, who knew the Word of God, was dragged out and murdered? Uh, Let me tell you this. It's happening all around the world, by the way. There are Christians who are living in countries that are very oppressive toward Christians. They are being persecuted. Many of them lose their lives every single day for the faith around the world. That's why we should pray for the persecuted church. Don't forget the persecuted church. 
Believers around the world who are persecuted for their faith. Stephen was the first of many millions to come that would give their lives for what they knew was true and is true today, that Jesus rose again from the dead, that he has power over death. And yes, this life will end. But in Jesus, we know we move from this life to eternal life. Jesus said himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die, John chapter 11. And then he proceeded to walk to the tomb of Lazarus and called Lazarus out of the grave. Anyone can say they're the resurrection and life. Anyone can say they have power over death. But Jesus did what no other religious leader has ever done. Bring someone back from the dead who'd been dead four days. Rise again from the dead after being nailed to a cross, hanging there for six hours, spear thrust in his side. He rose again from the dead. Unique in all of history. That's why today you can have confidence. And I want to share this with you. I want to challenge all of us, like Stephen, to love the truth, stand by the truth, even when the world hates it. See, Stephen didn't compromise his message. He went through the history of the nation of Israel, basically saying all through Israel's history, we've rebelled against God's plan, and we did it again by murdering the righteous one, Jesus, whom God had sent. He didn't compromise the truth. He didn't turn from the truth. He told the truth like it's stated in the Word of God. And may Riverview Church love God's truth. And I know the world hates it at times. The world hates the truth of God. But we need to stand firm in God's truth and not be ashamed of it. Like Stephen, who laid it out for the Jewish leaders and didn't compromise. Didn't change it. Didn't water it down. Riverview Church, we need to love the truth, stand by the truth, even when the world hates it. That's exactly what the testimony of Stephen is all about. They were enraged by what he said. They were enraged by it. They ground their teeth at him, but he didn't compromise. Here's the second thing I love about Stephen. Live for eternity. Value eternal things, even when the world misses it. Don't you love it? Stephen is giving his testimony. They rush at him. He looks up and sees heaven opened up and the glory of God. Believe me, my friends, Stephen had his eyes on eternity. He wasn't worried about his life. He had his eyes on eternity. It takes a special maturity in the life of a Christian to live by eternal values. Please, church, do not live by temporal values. Don't live to get the stuff of this world. You cannot take it with you. I've said it before. At funerals, you never see a hearse, right? with a coffin inside, that car that carries coffins, you never see a hearse with a U-Haul attached behind it. It doesn't happen. Why? 
You can't take any of this stuff with you. You can't. Live by eternity. Live by eternal values. Love what God tells us to love and hate the sin of this world that wants to take us away from a right relationship with God. And believe me, the world missed it. You would think the Jewish leaders would realize something was happening. As Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That must have been an amazing moment. When he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, if you've read Scripture and you know about how Jesus rose again from the dead, after he rose again from the dead, the Bible says in a number of places, this is what it says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. He was sitting at the right hand of God. His work was accomplished. But in Acts chapter 7, what I love about what we see here is Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Most commentators believe the reason why Jesus was standing was out of his pleasure for the testimony of Stephen. Didn't compromise. Stood up for the truth. Stood up for the reality of Jesus being the righteous one, the Messiah who had come to take upon himself the sins of the world. He didn't stop. He didn't compromise. He gave the message. He gave the gospel. And Jesus stands at the right hand of God, welcoming Stephen as the first martyr of the Christian church. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you. The Word tells us about what we want to hear from Jesus when we see him face to face, right? For him to say to us, like he said in the Gospels, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm sure Stephen heard it that day. Well done, Stephen. Your testimony has left an amazing impression on not only those Jewish leaders, but on the church as a whole. That you were willing to give your life for what you knew was true. See, when Jesus was completed with his redemptive work, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen died, he was standing at the right hand of the Father. The Jewish leaders, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They were holding their ears. They didn't want to hear it. And they rushed together at him, and they murdered him. It's a sad moment in Scripture. It's a sobering moment. This young man who was now a leader in the church, so much potential, so much knowledge of God's Word. Why would God allow this to happen? Because I believe with all my heart, Stephen set the tone for the boldness of the church for years and years and years to come, even today. When we look at the life of Stephen, I want to be bold like Stephen. That leads me to the third thing I see in this passage. Run well. Run well, church. Finish strong, even when the world thinks they won. I'm sure the Jewish leaders thought, okay, that's done with. No more Stephen to worry about. That'll shut down these Christians. We won today. But you know the challenge for all of us? 
Keep running. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash. When I was in seminary, I had a roommate by the name of Howie. And, and Howie came to seminary, and I, you could tell he loved the Lord. And as I got to know him and as a roommate, he, he didn't want to share this, but he actually was the first NCAA Division I national marathon champion. He won the national championship of the marathon, NCAA. The first time they had a national championship, he won it. And how we love to run. You know, we had seminary. We went to seminary at Trinity in Chicago. And in Chicago, in fact, I just heard, they had snow this week in Chicago. It was snowing in Illinois. Well, how we would run even in the coldest Days of winter in Chicago, he would dress up. All you would see is his eyes, layers of clothes on, and he would go out and run for miles. And I remember coming home one night, and I saw Howie with a brand new pair of running shoes, and he had a knife out, and he was carving his shoes, the rubber on the bottom of his shoes with his knife. And I said, Howie, what are you doing? Those are brand new shoes. He said, oh, Mel, you know, so much of this rubber on the bottom of my shoes, I don't need. It's just extra weight. And when you uh, think about that extra weight over thousands of steps, that's a lot of weight I don't need to carry. So I shave it off. I get rid of all the weight I don't need. When I, when I heard that, I thought, wow, what a great illustration of what it means to run well for Christ. Get rid of all the stuff that's slowing you down. Get rid of all the temporal things that cause you to keep your mind from following God. That keeps you from running the race in the way that God would have you run it. To run well. To finish strong. That we would finish the race in a way that would honor Christ, that we walk worthy of the one who's called us to bear the name Christian, to be part of the church, that we would have a joy in standing up for Jesus like Stephen did. He didn't care about his life. He didn't compromise the message. And before he died, he saw the glimpse, a glimpse of the glory that he would spend eternity in seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. See, the world might think they've won, but that young man that was holding the coats that day, that was in full agreement with putting Stephen to death, I am certain that that event began to plant seeds in Saul's heart, even as he became a great persecutor of the church. And that death of Stephen would be a reminder to Saul for the rest of his life, this man who would become Paul, the greatest church planter the world has ever seen. That he would never forget this, the testimony of Stephen. The way Stephen laid down his life. And he did it just like Jesus, amen? It's amazing how he did it. He says this, Lord, receive my spirit. Does that remind you of anyone? How did Jesus die? On the cross, he said, Lord, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. 
Stephen, just like Jesus. And then before he dies, he says those powerful words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that remind you of anyone else other than Stephen? Yeah, Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When you read that verse, you think to yourself, Stephen is just like Jesus. He wanted to die just like Jesus. And my guess is he lived just like Jesus. Church today, may we be people who live just like Jesus. To be that unstoppable church. 1 John 2, 6 says this, Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way as Jesus walked. We're to walk in the same way. Another verse, 2 Peter 2.21. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example, so that you might follow in his steps. Don't you love the way Stephen follows in the steps of Jesus? And I know years ago we had this little statement that was going around the church. Just like Jesus, right? Just like Jesus. It is a powerful reminder of what our lives should be like. And Stephen's life had an impact. Up until now, the Jewish leaders had not fully processed what the Christian faith was. They weren't really sure if it was considered a sect of the Jewish faith. But now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they knew that the Christian faith was a threat to their present sacrificial system of Judaism because Jesus fulfilled it all. You don't need the sacrifices in the temple anymore. And they believed it had to be stopped. And after chapter 7, persecution begins as a systematic approach in stopping the church. Saul goes from house to house arresting Christians. And as we think of Stephen's testimony and the test that he was put through. I want to remind you of something we've covered in the past. It's this. Today's test, whatever test you're going through, church, will become tomorrow's testimony. What happened to Stephen has been a testimony for hundreds of years of how to take a stand for Christ. I'm reminded of Martin Luther when he was uh, challenged to not teach the Word of God. This is what he said. Unless I am convinced by proofs of Scripture or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not recant. For it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God, help me. Throughout the centuries, people have followed the example of Stephen. Martin Luther stood up for the Word of God as he protested the church that was believing in things that were not in the word of God. Hey, unless you can show me from Scripture, here I stand. I can do no other. He also went on to say this, you're not only responsible for what you say, but also for what you do not say. May we be bold like Stephen about the testimony of Christ. I think of Jim Elliot and the five Wheaton graduates who gave their lives reaching out to the Alka Indians. 
You probably know the story, this tribe in Ecuador, remote tribe, and they would drop down gifts as they flew over this tribe to try to reach out to them because they heard they were a violent tribe. And one day they landed their plane on the banks of a river and the Alka Indians came out to meet these five young, bright, intelligent, godly men. And every one of them in 1956 lost their lives to the spears of the Alka Indians. You might think, like Stephen, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God allow this to happen? But I want to tell you, history tells us that after this happened, there was no greater season of missionary recruitment than after these five young men lost their lives to the Alka Indians. There would be additional missionaries that would go back to the Alka Indians and to other places around the world because people felt the call like Jim Elliott and these other missionaries to go out and be the godly light and example that God had called them to be. It led to an amazing season of missionary recruitment here in America. And the Alka Indians and the entire tribe, the tribal chief, came to faith in Christ, even as Jim Elliott's wife, who was now a widow, became a missionary to the very tribesmen who had killed her husband. Jim Elliott said this, and it's a powerful statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's exactly what Stephen did. He gave his life for Christ, for the message of the gospel, because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he could not lose his relationship with God, his standing with God, and that he left this life and entered eternal life. Church, it's a powerful testimony. And my prayer would be that it would challenge me and challenge you. That you would say, Lord, my life is yours. It's not mine anymore. My life is yours. And this world is groping in darkness, lost without hope. And we have the message of hope. We have the message of Christ. The God, creator God of the universe, who loved them all the way to the cross, died on the cross as the Lamb of God, and rose again with authority and power. And we've now been entrusted with that message as the church of Jesus Christ. Church, Riverview Church, love you. We look forward to the day when we will be together again. Be a light for Christ. Hold your head high as a believer in Jesus Christ. Get into the Word of God during these days of being sheltered at home. Get to know the story of God and the truths of God's Word so that we can share them clearly as we ought to do. Love you, Riverview Church. Live this week. All for Him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for Stephen's testimony. We pray, God, that we would be motivated and inspired by his testimony of taking a stand for you. And Lord, we love you. You're worth every ounce of our worship today. And we bow our hearts before you. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your matchless name. And all God's people said, amen.